Hello, welcome to Philosophy Gets Schooled. I'm Simon Kirchin, a philosopher based at the University of Kent. I'm also director of the British Philosophical Association. Uh, this is the short episode on virtue ethics or Aristotle's virtue ethics. Um, elsewhere on Philosophy Gets Schooled websites and out there in Podland, there's a longer in-depth episode on virtue ethics and Aristotle. Uh, where I talk with Beth McIntosh, Dan McKee and Michael Lacewing about all sorts of things going on uh, with Aristotle's virtue ethics. Um, but I hope this short episode will give you a quick idea of what's going on with Aristotle uh, and give you a sense of some of the things that we talk about in that longer episode. Um, uh, Aristotle's uh, virtue ethics is on the AQA and the IB specifications. Uh, it isn't on hires. Uh, and it's also not on OCR or Edexcel Religious Studies A-level specifications. Um, but it's worth thinking about, um, not only because you can use it to contrast with utilitarianism and deontology, um, but it's also useful to give you some perspective on various applied ethical issues. Um, so I hope uh, both episodes will, will help uh, uh, any student, uh, no matter what you're um, thinking about. Okay, so let's give you a quick summary of what's going on with virtue ethics. And in particular, um, the focus is on Aristotle's virtue ethics. So Aristotle is an ancient Greek um, philosopher, lived a few thousand years ago, um, hugely influential in uh, Western uh, philosophy, not just ethics, but metaphysics, um, uh, philosophy of science, many other areas of uh, what we do as philosophers nowadays. Um, but we're focusing on his on his moral philosophy. And we start in the in-depth episode just by thinking about normative ethics. Um, and perhaps I'll, I'll dwell a little bit on, on that before giving you a quick summary of what's going on with, with Aristotle's particular moral philosophy. So we're used to um, thinking about normative ethics through the lens of utilitarianism and Kantian deontology and perhaps one or two other uh, different theories um, where we're thinking about this as the prime moral question. What should I do? What action should I do in this particular situation? What action is going to be morally right? What's going to be morally wrong or good or bad or permissible, impermissible, obligatory, right? And the focus is very much on individual actions, possible courses of action that I can take and which ones are justified and which ones aren't and whether utilitarianism, deontology, situation ethics, whatever it might be, gives us good guidance as to what we should do and then can be brought in afterwards to justify actions that have taken place. Now, it's not as if the ancient Greeks uh, were not considering individual actions and cases and trying to think about uh, ways to view things that could be considered as justifications, although even so, the distance of a few thousand years um, uh, is uh, going to give us some difference there. But arguably, the, the prime question for ancient Greeks when thinking about um, ethics wasn't what action should I do? The prime uh, moral question was um, what sort of person should I be? How should I live my life? And where that's got uh, an undercurrent of how should I live my life in general across the long term? What should I develop my personality to be? Who should I emulate? Those were seen to be uh, the more important moral questions. So it's answering those that gives you a sense of the moral philosophy or the ethical philosophy of people such as Aristotle, as well as other people. 
Again, it's not as if there's a sharp divide. It's not as if they they never thought about individual examples or or what we should do with in particular um, cases. But that's the prime moral question, and just bearing that in mind is very very important when you're thinking not just about Aristotle, but think about what normative ethics is in general. So whether our focus should be primarily or indeed exclusively on individual actions that I'm taking and the justifications for them, or whether the, the focus should be more on what sort of person I should be, what my character is, what personality I should develop and, and how I should develop it. Um, because whatever else we say, that's, that's clearly what's going on with, with Aristotle and still gives us quite a bit to learn uh, and learn from. Um, but there is that interesting um, difference here between what Aristotle and other Greek philosophers are doing and what we're more used to by looking at people in the last couple of centuries or so. Okay, so then let's give you a quick summary of what's going on in Aristotle with a few key terms. So uh, a word that looms large in Aristotelian virtue ethics is the word eudaimonia, and that's spelled E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N-I-A, -I -I eudaimonia. And it's translated or has been translated in a number of different ways in English in the last few decades. So you might see some older translations that translate eudaimonia as happiness or pleasure, um, perhaps well-being. Um, a word that many people use nowadays is flourishing. That gives us a clue as to what eudaimonia is about. Eudaimonia isn't uh, primarily or wholly a psychological state that might be indicated such as happiness, so feeling happy. Although I think it's probably true that part of the life of a eudaimon is someone who does feel happy. Um, but the key focus is on objectively how that life is going. Is that life going well? Is someone flourishing? Are they being the best sort of person they can be? Are they living up to the standard or the goal of what we expect human beings to be? Um, and just a small note there, Aristotle, as well as thinking about um, our moral lives and thinking about metaphysics, he's very interested in biology. In fact, he connects the moral life with, with, the, with um, our human biology. And that introduces uh, a next idea. So something that's very, very important for Aristotle um, is that idea of goal or end. So Aristotelian ethics is very teleological. So that's from the Greek word telos, telos meaning goal or end. So Aristotle thinks that we as human beings, as biological creatures, but also rational biological creatures, have a certain end, a certain goal. And it might be slightly different between each of us, but all of us are part of the same group. And so broadly, we're going to be trying to go for the same goal or end. And for Aristotle, the final end that we're all aiming to achieve is eudaimonia. Okay, the life that flourishes, where we can show that in different ways we are flourishing and we're achieving a good life. Okay, and so that brings in the idea of ends. And in fact, there might be, might be quite a lot of ends that we have, and Aristotle mentions a few. So, for example, the life of pleasure, a life of happiness, a, a life where you accumulate lots of lots of wealth, for example. And all these things are good. It's not that Aristotle thinks that they're, they're terrible things, but they're not final ends, because you can always ask, well, why do you want to be wealthy, or why do you want to be happy, or I mean, just happy. You don't just want to be happy just for the sake of it. 
You want to be happy based on something, right? Actually living a good life that justifies your happiness. Um, wealth might be good, but it's only instrumentally good. The most important thing is to live a life that's flourishing. Um, and really the Nicomachean ethics, which is Aristotle's, um, one of Aristotle's main books about ethics, which is what we, we focus on in, in the various A-level uh, and IB curricula. Um, Aristotle's trying to give you an extended sense of what a eudaimonic life looks like, okay? Um, some other uh, bits of Greek, very important to know. Um, so ergon might come up, E-R-G-O-N. And ergon means function or characteristic activity. Um, and arate, A-R-E-T-E, which is a virtue. And often when we hear virtue, we think, ah, it's got to be something ethical. And in a way, this is virtue ethics. Um, but virtue here means a certain sort of characteristic, a trait. Um, and Aristotle thinks that what we're trying to do is achieve our main function or our character, and that's uh, eudaimonia. And we're doing that through exhibiting, practicing, living a life uh, in accordance with various and displaying various virtues, exercising virtues. Lots of these different words, exercise, display. Uh, etc. come up in relation to virtues and vices. And that's another important piece uh, of Aristotle's stance, so the virtues and vices, and we talk about this in the in-depth discussion quite a bit, where we talk about a few examples. So we talk a bit about courage and about wit, um, but there are lots of others as well. In fact, I won't spoil it, but it's worth looking at um, Aristotle's main list of the virtues and vices because um, they're not quite what you'd expect a modern uh, ethical writer to list. Uh, so it's important to, to look at them and then to think about them uh, either on your own or, or with classmates and with your teacher to think about what Aristotle's idea of the various virtues are. Mention the virtues uh, brings in the idea of the doctrine of the mean, which you may have come across uh, before. So what's the doctrine of the mean? <clears throat> so it does not mean the doctrine of the average, so the middle way all the time. The better way to understand it is to think about uh, the display or the exercise of a virtue, of a, of a character trait, um, at the right amount, uh, at the right time, in an appropriate way. So sometimes there might be loads of it, sometimes not very much of it, but it's, it's um, as it were, mapped correctly into a situation. And Aristotle talks about virtues and vices, and with vices he thinks about deficiencies and excesses. So let's think about one of those I've just introduced, such as courage. So um, courage obviously is going to be something, not just in Aristotle's list, but a, but a, but a modern uh, list of virtuous traits, we'd imagine. So displaying bravery, and it might be bravery in battle. That's obviously uh, one that uh, comes to mind straight away, but it might be other sorts of courage you can display, such as standing up to a bully in a playground um, or going into a workplace and standing up to a boss where you think they're making um, unreasonable demands and have been doing so for, for a long time, um, you can display courage in, in those situations as well. But you can also display deficiencies and excesses. So what's an excess? Well, an excess might be foolhardiness. So perhaps it might be challenging your boss every single time and perhaps doing so in a, in, a, in a bad way, or perhaps on the battlefield, charging into battle at every single opportunity, which might be risky for yourself and risky for your comrades. Um, similarly, there can be a deficiency. So uh, it might be that you never stand up for yourself 
uh, at all in any workplace or school situation or, or in life. Um, you always kind of creep away. Um, and also, if you're a soldier and never go on the battlefield, then you're um, perhaps uh, particularly cowardly, some people might say. Um, so there can be all sorts of vices, and Aristotle normally lists them as deficiencies and excesses. And in the English language, we have uh, various words uh, sometimes for those deficiencies and excesses. So I've just used two in relation to courage, so cowardliness and foolhardiness or, or recklessness. Um, and Aristotle goes through all of the virtues uh, and thinks about deficiencies and excesses. The doctrine of the mean is trying to display or exercise uh, the virtuous trait, the right amount uh, at the right time in the right situation. And that requires a certain amount of judgment. So a lot of this, a lot of what's going on in Aristotle is judgment. And actually it will take time across uh, many situations, guided by other people, reflection yourself, thinking about previous situations where you, perhaps you acted well or perhaps you think it didn't go so well, and practicing, practicing, practicing. And so um, another part of Aristotle's stance is to think a lot about habits and skills. So acquiring a good habits about when you exercise virtues. And there's a certain sort of skill and proficiency in exercising them. And again, you're reflecting on yourself and your own behavior and what's happened previously. And also you're getting guidance from other people. We'll come back to guidance, I'm sure, in, in a little uh, while. So um, uh, putting all these things together, um, Aristotle thinks what we're trying to do in our moral lives is think about you know how we should act broadly, what sort of personality we should we should cultivate, and what we're trying to do is achieve a flourishing life, the life of the of eudaimonia, and we do that by displaying various character traits or virtues. There's the worry about slipping into vices, and so we have to use our judgment, get wise counsel from other people and reflect on situations ourselves. There's lots of other things going on, lots of other things we discuss uh, in the in the in the uh, longer episode. So we think about um, different sorts of actions. So Aristotle is very good at dividing actions in terms of voluntary, involuntary, and non-voluntary actions, which brings in ideas such as regret and praise and blame. But I won't uh, spoil that now. Um, Michael Lacewing explains that very well at the start of the third segment in the in-depth um, episode. And also we talk a bit about phrenesis, which is another Greek word. Phrenesis basically means kind of uh, wisdom, wise judgment, the wise exercise of the various virtues, because often you can see virtues perhaps clashing. And so we need to decide whether in a situation to be brave or witty. And perhaps, perhaps there seems to be some sort of tension in that situation. How do we work out what we should do and how we should exercise our, our virtues? And as I say, that comes from various sorts of judgment um, habit, skill over a long period of time. Um, there are some problems uh, for Aristotle's virtue ethics, and we discuss those in the third segment of the in-depth uh, discussion as well. And um, perhaps just to um, uh, list uh, some of them, this is from the AQA um, spec. So issues include whether Aristotelian virtue ethics can give sufficiently clear guidance about how to act, clashing versus competing virtues, which I've just mentioned, the possibility of circularity involved in defining virtuous acts and virtuous persons in terms of each other. Um, so the thought there is, um, what is it to act virtuously? Oh, it's to do what the virtuous person would do. Well, what does the virtuous person do? Oh, the virtuous person always 
produces virtuous acts. Well, that's a very, very circular definition. Does it give us any hint at all about the sort of actions we should in fact perform in concrete terms? Um, and some other problems as well. A lot of these go back to that first um, problem that I just mentioned, where the virtue ethics can give us sufficiently clear and concrete guidance. Just to dwell on that then as a last topic in this short summary, I think that's a kind of key um, problem to think about when understanding the whole of Aristotle's virtue ethics. Um, so it might seem that from what I've given you, it all sounds very nice as a kind of reflection, but how on earth is he gonna tell us how we should act? So I say uh, in the longer episode that there's something at the start of the Nicomachean Ethics, which I think is one of the one of the wisest things that's ever been written in Western philosophy. Okay, drum roll. Um, and Aristotle basically says that um, as a philosopher, as a writer, as a thinker, as as anyone, needn't be a professional philosopher at all, um, then you should be aiming for the level of detail, the level of specificity that the domain, that the idea, that the problem demands. So in maths, we can get very, very specific and very concrete and very exact. So when we say 7 plus 5 equals 12, we can say 12 exactly. We don't say 7 plus 5 is kind of 12. Um, and whilst it's true to say 7 plus 5 equals somewhere between 10 and 19, um, we can actually be a bit more specific than that. We can say 7 plus 5 equals 12, and we can be that specific. When it comes to um, what we should do morally, um, how we should think about our ethical lives, we could, of course, come up with a very, very um, specific set of principles, uh, very detailed, very concrete, such that they will give you an answer. So if you're in this situation with these features, A, B, C, you should always do action X. And that's very specific. But if you know life, then life gets very, very messy. It might well be that you confront a situation that has features A, B, C, but because it also has features D, E, F, you definitely shouldn't be doing X. In fact, you should definitely not do X and you should do Y. So you can make very, very, very specific principles, but life is very messy. And it will often, in fact, perhaps always outrun the level of detail you have in your principles. And Aristotle's wise that. That's why I say it's a very wise thing to say in the Nicomachean Ethics. So you can give some general ideas in uh, moral philosophy, but perhaps not the level of specificity that some people have. So often we uh, people say, we, we say it in the in-depth discussion, we talk about uh, principles being algorithms. So this level of specific rule or principle are the sort of algorithms that you see in, in maths or in, in computers. But perhaps moral philosophy doesn't quite work like that. At least that's an Aristotelian uh, idea and one that many other people uh, agree with as well. So when we say that Aristotle uh, and Aristotelian virtue ethics doesn't give enough guidance, actually in, in the uh, in-depth interview, many of us think it does give enough guidance. An important thing to think about with Nicomachean Ethics, it wasn't a book that was published by a book publisher in ancient Greece, 
um, it was probably, I mean, this is uh, very quick, but probably kind of written down as kind of uh, lecture notes from people who were listening to Aristotle and then bound together and then kind of found its way uh, into various uh, libraries, ancient libraries at the time and and, um, and came down to, to us. Um, and really it's Aristotle talking to people, in fact, the young citizens of Athens, um, who were already in the zone to be thinking morally about what they should be doing in the same way that Kant's groundwork is not um, aimed at an amoralist or an immoralist or an egoist, somewhere where Kant is trying to, certainly the first two chapters anyway, where Kant is trying to convince people that the moral life is the best life. He thinks what he's doing is articulating to people who are already moral things that we already know. And the Nick and McKean ethics can be read in that way. It's basically, it's a system of reminders of a certain type picking out particular considerations about certain virtue virtue traits or about the ends that we should have in mind when we're living. And read in that way, it gives you actually quite a lot of guidance and source for reflection on your own moral life. And that may be, and this may be the most important thing that Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics teaches us, that might be the most important guidance that you can give someone, just giving people reminders about the sort of life they should be living. Of course, in Aristotle thinks you can go wrong, um, and and, our, and moral life is is hard, and it's constantly a matter of refreshing yourself and and uh, habitually um, exercising the virtues. Uh, but nevertheless, um, many people think Aristotle's virtue ethics gives enough guidance. And some people mount an argument that Aristotle's virtue ethics, despite first appearances, gives you as much guidance as, say, many um, areas uh, in uh, normative ethics, many other theories, such as utilitarianism and deontology. After all, basic utilitarianism just says maximize good consequences. Well, what do you mean by good consequences? There are all different conceptions of good consequences here. I mean, all that virtue ethics is saying is um, act virtuously. Make sure you exercise these sort of virtuous traits rather than others. And that seems very general, but it's as only as general as saying maximize good consequences. Uh, Ros Hursthaus, um, who's a modern virtue ethicist, uh, thinks something along those lines. Okay, perhaps I'm going to stop there. Um, I hope that gives you enough of a sense of what we discuss in the in-depth discussion. And I hope this gives you enough of a sense, a starting uh, sense anyway, of what's going on with Aristotle's virtue ethics. So please listen to the in-depth episode. And if you like that episode and this one, then please listen to some of the other Philosophy Gets School episodes as well. Thanks. <laughs>